Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Welcome to Battleground Community Church this morning. If you're watching online or here, take your copy of God's Word, open it up to Romans 1. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 11 to 13 today. And uh, one of my hobbies is to work with wood. And I've got sawdust in my eyes, and I couldn't get it all out this morning. And so things are just a little bit fuzzier than they normally are, and I'm, I'm watering a little bit. So if, so if, I, if, I, if I pause and do this, or if I start running somewhere, you, you, know, you know why. Or if I just start winking at you, I love you, but it ain't that. <laughs> all right. So I had to say that so I could get used to make sure I wasn't doing any kind of weird things this morning. So stand with me. What we're going to do is back up and we're going to look at from verse 8 just to give ourselves some context as we build every week on Paul's teaching us on something about what it means to be united in Christ and how that our union in Christ then produces a communion of, of eat with each other. And so let's, let's look at verse 8. He says, first... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you again this morning, we ask for you to give us what we need this morning. As we come here to to be still and to pay attention and to receive, Lord, we need the power of your Spirit even now so that we may learn in wisdom, so that the Holy Spirit may encourage us and correct us. And he does it all in love. And so, Lord, we trust you as we open up God's word today and receive it as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So I know if, if you talk to very many people, we've mentioned this over the last week or two, we get this, this mindset or this attitude. If I have Jesus, if Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, then what do I need the church What's the church for? I mean, the church is simply an option, and I've just particularly just opted out of that. Any of you that's married know that this is true. When you get married, you don't just get a spouse. You get a family, right? And if you don't have that mindset, then you are going to have an unhealthy marriage, (laughs) Because marriage comes with a family. Listen, Jesus comes with a family. And you don't get to opt out because you don't like the quirks that the family has. I could not imagine not having close brothers 
to be able to lean into in hard days and confusing days. And I hope that you couldn't imagine having the days that I know many of you have went through and are going through right now and have this attitude that all I need is Jesus, but I don't need his church. Paul is completely, there's just nowhere to hang that, that hanger in the closet of God's word this morning. And so let us remember our definition. This definition came from a guy named Philip Ryken. He writes a book called The Communion of the Saints. He said, the communion of the saints is the living fellowship of all true believers who are united in love by their union with Christ and have spiritual communion with one another as they share in corporate worship, spiritual gifts, Christian graces, material goods, and mutual edification. There's a lot there, isn't it? So I just want us to review, but also to look at where we're, where we're headed Union in Christ brings a gospel-centered love for Christ. Augustine said this, There are two loves, of which one is holy, the other unclean. One torn, turned toward the neighbor, the other centered on self. One looking for the common good, keeping in view the society of the saints in heaven, the other bringing the common good under its own power. Two loves. He wants us to understand that this love for Christ is selfless love. It's a holy love. It brings us together as a body, as a family, and it orients ourselves toward each other's growth and each other's good. Union in Christ brings a living fellowship with each other. We have a living God and we have a living fellowship. Reichen used this illustration in his book. I thought it was good. He said, if we're not careful, a church can be like an elevator where we all cram close together, but we're pointed in a, away from each other in a particular direction, and we leave never having really known each other. Our church is not supposed to, a church is not supposed to be that way. We have a personal God with his chosen family. Union in Christ comes with an attitude. An attitude that must be about our whole lives and ministry. We're going to look at that today. An attitude of humility and sincerity. And sometimes what, whoops, what, what life change happens starts with our attitudes, then our mindset, and then our priorities. We must have, then, with the communion of the saints... A gospel-centered longing for the holistic growth of all believers. That means I am concerned about how your business is going. I'm concerned what hobbies you have. I'm concerned about all of you. Not just, not just what are you doing on Sunday for me or for this church. We, we love each other and all of each other with all of our quirks and hang-ups. And our communion of the saints is a gospel-centered drivenness for our great commission. We, we, we move forward in the, with the great commandment to love each other and to love our neighbors. And that provides the stream that carries out the great commission. The main idea then of the last 
few weeks is the union in Christ brings us into fellowship with each other, a longing for the growth of all believers, and a collective drivenness to his mission. Just some questions this morning. And the first two are really asking the same thing. But one brings clarity to the other. The first question, are we, as a church, longing to strengthen each other, to strengthen others? This is the simplicity of his introduction. Look at verse 11. He said, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. You you might think that Paul here sounds a little arrogant. You know, I'm coming to you, and when I come, I'm going to bring something. I'm going to fix y'all people. I'm going to dust you up. You're like a car that needs a tune-up. When I get there, I'm going to... I want you to see something biblically here to start with. The power to strengthen was promised. So turn with me to Ezekiel. We're going to turn to Jeremiah just as well. We, turned, we actually looked at Jeremiah the other week. So let's look at Ezekiel 36. Let's just limit ourselves to verse 26 to 28 today, although it's in the context really good to read all of it. Ezekiel 36, 26. I want you to see where this power to strengthen comes from. In other words, look for the source of the power. And I will give you, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see the source There's something better coming in the new covenant that was not true in the old covenant. Now flip with me to the New Testament, to Acts. Acts 1, verse 4. Acts 1, verse 4. And while Jesus was staying with them, verse 4, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, and he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit was promised, and so was the power. Just look down a few verses to Acts 1.8. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all over the world. Power was promised. No power, no witness. But with the power came, but the Holy Spirit came the power to do what He tells us to do. That is, primarily to make followers of Christ here and all over the world. Are you conscious of the power of God that has been given to you through the Holy Spirit? This power was was to strengthen, was not only promised. There was a point in time when it was given. The Holy Spirit came, and he's never left. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we see that the day of Pentecost arrived. Do you remember that? In verse 1, it said, And then suddenly there came a 
heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. And while they were sitting and divided to tongues as fire, and appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, they, the Spirit immediately gave them give them power to preach God's word to people where they could understand it. It was immediately, listen, this is foundational. The Holy Spirit was immediately points you outwardly for the kingdom of God. All of this fixation with the Holy Spirit that is only about oneself is carnal. God gives us the Spirit of God to produce His power. And one of the first things He does is give us a love for God and a love for His mission. And we leverage that. The power was given. This brought all kinds of things to the disciples. Just read Acts. It brought boldness and grace. It brought conviction and mercy. Just listen. Acts 4. It says, And with great power... The apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not, listen to the tension here, they were proclaiming the gospel, verse 33, verse 34, and there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands, sold them and brought proceeds of what was sold. This was happening in the context of the local church. Spirit power can pull down demonic strongholds and sin dominated strongholds in our lives. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Not just to tolerate them, not just to take a pill so we don't realize that they're there, but to get rid of them. That's what the Spirit gives us power to do. The Spirit gives us authority. You have no authority. You have no intrinsic power. You are dependent. We are needy. We are the sheep. We keep wandering off in the same place and following off the same cliff. There are no powerful Christians. There are only Spirit-filled Powerful servants of God. I thought I'd get an amen right there. What Paul longed for is for these, these Roman believers to leverage what God had given them. And he intended to do the same. But are we conscious of it? You see, this is the scary part. The scary part of the preacher is that I can get up here and preach in my own strength. Matter of fact, you can, I can pull up my Bible study program right now. Matter of fact, with AI, AI will write that sermon for you. But you can pull up any kind of Bible study program, or you can talk to your computer, and they'll write my sermon for me, complete with illustrations. And it's good. The question is, where's the power? How is the power, what does it look like? What is it looking like in your life? But listen, this power is meant to be deployed. It's meant to be used. It's meant to go outward. Verse 11, now back in Romans 1, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen 
you. You see, it's you, you. Now, what does Paul mean here? Does Paul mean when he comes that he's going to give people spiritual gifts? Well, Paul can't mean what he doesn't say, and he says other places, Romans 12, 6, that we have gifts and that differ according to the grace given to us. God gives gifts. God gives gifts. So what does he mean here? Paul bringing something to them beyond their natural abilities, or was Paul desiring to impart a gift to them of what the Holy Spirit had given him, and he desired to use it for their benefit. So was Paul simply saying, what gifts that I have, I'm coming to you. And when I come to you, I'm going to leverage them in your life for your strengthening. Now in part, yes. Paul is going to bring all of his gifts to bear when he gets there. His gifts of leadership, his gifts of preaching. If you can read up in the context, it's in part what he's saying. I'm going to bring the gospel with me when I come. I'm going to leverage it in our lives, in your lives when I come. I'm going to use what God has given to me. There's this common reoccurring thing. This spiritual strengthening takes this. You can't spiritually strengthen someone from afar. You have to be willing to prioritize it in your life so that you spend eyeball to eyeball time with people. Paul wants to come to them for that purpose. I thought Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's helped me so much in my studying of so far. He says, as impressive as Romans is, and it is, he said it is just a synopsis of what Paul intended to teach the Romans. Just a, just a summary. Just, just think about that for a minute. We could study Romans forever, you know. He said it was just a, it's just a summary. When he gets there, he was going to do exactly what we are doing. He's just going to take it one little piece at a time. And he's going to teach them what it means to know God, what it means to dive deep. Let's slow down and go deep with this thing. Paul intended to do that. In short, Paul intended to make disciples that would make other disciples that would make other disciples. This is what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2. I love this passage. It makes sure that the strength wasn't coming from Paul. By the way, that text, the strengthening is passive. It means it's happening to them, God is doing the strengthening. Look what 2 Timothy 2.2 says. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That You, you see how this is passed down. The Spirit, and, and we should have not the least bit of trouble as, as Trinitarian people understanding when the strength comes from Jesus Christ and the strength comes from the Holy Spirit. For they are one. And we get power, we get power from the Godhead. It's, this is about the Godhead from the word go in our life. Bringing power that we need. And that's what he longs to do. 
But let's, he wants to make sure we understand. So let's ask another question. Are we longing to encourage? To strengthen is to encourage. Look at what he says. Now look at verse 12. He says, that is, that's, that's important. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You see that? So, you might think that Paul is being arrogant to start with. That he's going to come and he's going to bring his strength. and he's gonna, But he immediately in the next sentence says, When I come, there's going to be some mutual strengthening going on here. Some mutual encouragement. So he says that is. Now what that means is, <laughs> let's be clear. Hold on a second. Let, let me make sure you understand. And so... I was going to try to find somebody that works, works at a job, you know, where you might have a boss. They say, let's pick on Tommy. They say, Tommy comes in and the boss, the boss says, hey, I, I need to see you in my office. And Tommy starts running all these scenarios in his mind. Man, I did get a little short with that guy over here. You know, you run a, a thousand things through your mind. And then he says, that is, I just need to go over a job that's coming up that I need your help with. All of a sudden, you're like, <laughs> okay, then, now I got some clarity. That's what he wants us to understand here. The purpose of Paul coming to help strengthen and establish and encourage them was for the mutual benefit of not only them, but also himself. And what they're going to be mutually encouraged by primarily is not some spiritual gift. Ultimately, it was their faith. It was the mutual reality of each other's faith. This mystery, even this mystical reality that exists with the communion of the saints, that when we get together, we are mutually encouraged by the same faith and the same Lord. I will be encouraged. You will be. This is the strength, just an example of endurance. I would not want to go through next week by myself. And guess what? I don't have to. Yes, I have the Lord, and I have the comfort that brings to Him in times of trouble. But when Jesus died for me, He died to give me Himself, and He died to give me a people. And that people is you. We are that people. Why would you want to go out the world without a people? You see, the word encourage presumes there's somebody else. That word means, biblically, I, I can just deliver the mail. It doesn't mean that you're sitting at home listening to the radio and you're encouraged by it. You might be encouraged. That's simply not what the Bible means. The Bible says we encourage is to be strengthened together. To be encouraged together. In other words, it takes two to be biblically encouraged. You can't do it by yourself. Ecclesiastes 4.12 said, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's, what, that's why biblical community is important. You will never be biblically encouraged in isolation. And that ought to scare you too bad to fall into it. 
Because it simply doesn't come when we're by ourselves. God's blessing comes from what he reveals to us in his word. And he reveals that I give you the communion of the saints. And so when we prioritize that in our life, the blessings of God come that will not come if we don't prioritize it. That is a simple truth that comes out of God's Word. And it's presumed in every New Testament letter that these things are true because we are a family of God and your faith spokes mine, stokes mine just like a poker in a fire. And I'm supposed to do the same to you simply by the fact that you know that I am with you and that I'm for you and that you're with me and that you're for me. It's good, brothers and sisters. This is the privilege of being a saint. I am to devote myself to helping you, and you are to devote yourself to encourage me. The result of that is we all grow. If you get one person who's wringing it out, and you get another person who's simply soaking it in, somebody's going to get dry. It takes both people wringing it out, both people being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we all grow as a result. But we take, brothers and sisters, the right attitude. So Paul was not arrogant. Paul was humble. Paul was not setting himself up on a pedestal. He was not being patronizing. He was not being manipulative. He had reason to be proud, 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, but he wasn't even close to it. He understood that the blessings of God come when we labor for the other's good. I love what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Our attitude is one of humility. But Paul was also approachable. Paul was no super saint. He was no superstar pastor that pops out whose people are not even allowed to speak to him. Some guys are like that. I hear about I just don't know where we can get that in Scripture. Paul understood what the Bible teaches us. That the only way to encourage people is when we dwell with people. Because that is what Jesus did when He came. He, He came and He pitched His tent among us. And so our pattern of how we live is among us. This is why your pastor sits in the chairs. We don't sit up on some big seat. Saw that in Africa. Just wanted to set that thing on fire. Had to sit in this big red chair when I was over there one day and preaching. So we were under a pole shed. You know, a pole shed. Just metal roof, metal sides. But they had this little stage. By goodness, they had these kingly chairs up on the stage. And the, the senior pastor sat in the biggest one. And if there was a guest pastor, which I was, I sat in the next one down. And his family sat in folding chairs over to the side. And the people sat on these log planks. You see, what is that saying? What is that telling the people on the planks? You see, that's not what Paul was doing. Because that's not what Jesus did. Listen to this. 1 Peter 5, 1-3. Says, so I exhort the elders among you, among you is important, as a fellow elder 
and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse 2, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. By the way, that presumes that the elder has a flock, right? Who's he going to shepherd if there is no local church? If there's not meaningful church membership, exactly who is he talking about or to there? The only authority that exists in the church is a spiritual authority given by our collective submission to the Word of God. It's the only authority I have. My opinions are worthless, and so are yours. We are mutually submitted to the Word of God and to the will of God. Paul has no inerrant. He has no intrinsic authority. But what he does have is the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And what, Paul, what the Spirit gives Paul to do, he can do in the power of the Spirit, and so can you. Paul was humble and Paul was approachable. But Paul was also bold. He was a bold rascal. So many passages. Just listen again what he said to Timothy, encouraging this pastor. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. He said, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and guards the deposit entrusted to you. What he has called me to do, what he has strengthened me to do, I will do, and he will finish it in me, and Timothy is going to finish it in you too. You see, this is my question today, and I, I... started this last week. Do you long for this kind of fellowship? Am I longing to be part of a fellowship or just a member of the church? Do you understand the difference now that we've talked about the communion of the saints? You can't strengthen people without a devotion to those people. You can't strengthen them when you don't know their names, when you don't know their problems, when you don't know their issues, when you don't give cover with grace their quirks and irritations. There is, we live in the age of movements. Movements are all the rage. Because you can be part of a movement and not really be an active participant in the movement. We are not called to be like people who go to a football game. We wear the shirt and paint up our faces and sit in the bleachers and simply holler. But I dare you to try to come down out of those stands and go into the locker room on halftime. What are they going to tell you? I don't know what you're doing. You're not part of the team. You're not out there on the field. You're not been practicing. Christianity is a fellowship of believers where we all participate. Listen, participation is fellowship. Participation is fellowship. 
The church was never designed to be a place where a few work and others receive. Neither is it a place where we all just come in and sit in the same direction and listen to someone speak. And praise God for the preaching of His Word. But what Paul wants us to get right foundationally is true fellowship brings your faith and my faith together. It is that I give and you give and I receive and you receive and I labor and you labor. And if it's not, it's not fellowship. And we must not call it what it is not. We long to have the fellowship that Christ died to give us. The communion of the saints. How do I bring my individual faith to bear for the common good of the body of Christ? Well, simply it's how you live. It's a lifestyle. It's a change in mind and attitude. It's a it's a reordering of your priorities this morning that you must be willing to do if God's word is true, and it is. Paul looked forward not just to coming and speaking to some big crowd. He looked forward to having, as it were, coffee with Joey. He looked forward to going to your small group and say, hey, let's talk about this gospel. Was it glamorous? Just, just life on life, hard work. That which was a priority, that was going to strengthen his faith and it was going to strengthen their faith. We all have something to leverage in that and that's where gifts do come to play. But we all have time. And if we're not willing to give it, the strength of the body of Christ will be diminished. We must allow our lives then to be interwoven with each other. I'm not saying that I'm always supposed to call Mike every time I don't want to whine to somebody. I lament to God. But Mike knows what's going on in my life. And I know what's going on in his. Why? Because that's what family does. That's what family does. That's what Christ died for. Here's a third question, though. The third question, are we longing to harvest? Now, we're going to talk about this harvest in two ways. Next week, we're going to talk about the harvest for, in our mission. But there's a harvest to be had within the body of Christ. And that's what he's talking about ultimately to start with here in verse 13. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you. You see that? Among you. As well as among the rest of the Gentiles. That among you is what I want us to just spend a minute here thinking about. We must realize that if we're going to experience harvest, we need to realize there's hindrances to the harvest. So what he's, that's what he's saying. I, I really, I've written this letter, but I really want to come face to face. I really want to be with you. Paul had no idea what was in store for him. You need to be aware. What was the hindrances? We don't know. Could have been demonic opposition. It could have been some kind of human limitations. Uh, he, he speaks of having the pressing needs of all the churches on him. Ultimately, we don't have to pick for God is sovereign. and He's already taught us that by relying on God's will. He's asked God for to go there and then he's entrusted God, God with it. 
but he's letting them know I long to be there. But some, there's things that are hindering it. But we, to experience a harvest in each other's life, we must, be, we must be aware that according to Scripture, there is a harvest to reap. Not saying it's easy. Not saying you're not going to have to go home and reprioritize what's, what's already comfortable. Speaking to someone this week who, who struggles with not only trauma, but because of the trauma, has some tendency toward OCD. And what, what they taught me through that conversation, I was mutually encouraged by it, you see. They said, I always go home different directions. I don't allow myself, my, my mind to fall in a mindless routine because it's bad for me to just do the same thing over and over without thinking about why I'm doing it. So I always go home a different way. You see, you see what she said? It's, it was interesting. I was sitting there going, ah, so we had lunch today. <laughs> we learn from each other. There is a harvest to be to reap when we live life together. I would not have had that conversation if we would not have broke bread together. You don't have those kind of conversations at a, at a sermon. You have them in life. When this church is strengthened, when the church is established, the result is fruit. Fruit that comes up in our life and that bubbles over into our, into our world, into our community. We just don't, when we're strengthened, it just doesn't make us better church members than that it does. But it makes us better citizens. It makes us better workers. It makes us better parents. It makes us better children. This is about holistic growth. That's the harvest that we long to see. Some of the first apologists in the early church, when Rome was killing Christians, says, why are you killing your best citizens? And they knew it was true. We are the best citizens in all the world. That's, that's what Christianity does. We don't get around things. We don't go around the law. We are the best citizens. We work the hardest for our employers because God's glory is at stake. This is the fruit. And Jesus was prolific in, in the Gospels that we are, that He is the, the root and we produce the fruit, but we are connected as a vine to the branch. Unfortunately, some of the hungriest places in our town today is the church. We got to feed. And we got to invest in each other's life. To reap fruit, you have to be connected to a fellowship of believers where you plant your life for the growth of all believers. It's critical. Our great mission depends on it. But our great mission begins with those that are sitting right beside of you. So what today? Am I enjoying God through the fellowship with other believers? There is an enjoyment that comes when we do what God says to do. That's, that's, the, that's the big principle. But, but that has to bleed out and look like something. And so what, what I'm asking you today is exactly what excuse do you have for not being part of a small group in your life?
I'm not shaming you. I'm just asking you to say if, if God's Word says that we need to prioritize time together and that we give you an opportunity for your students to be together, for you as young adults to be together, and for all ages of all kinds to come together, why is that not a priority in your life? Turn with me to Romans 15. Romans 15. I just want us to see one verse, but I I don't want us to read it out of context. Romans 15, look at verse 1. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of you please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Can I just pause there for a second? You need to go back up today, sometime today, up to the chapter and see that the primary audience he's speaking to was that of the church. That was the each other. Verse 3, For Christ did not please himself, but that is in written, the reproaches of those who, who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for you for our instructions that through endurance, that through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 7. Therefore, because of all of this, Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. You see that word welcomed? That's the word that got me this week in my study. It means to invite in. Welcome is not a doormat you put in front of your door that you wipe your feet on. To welcome somebody means that you invite them into your life. Yes, mess and all. And they must be willing to come in. Right? There's two ways to this street, isn't it? Who have I invited into my life? Who have I invited into my church? Who have I invited into my home? Into all my sacred places and spaces. Those spaces, those places are where the strengthening and the encouragement happen. Sunday is the equipping. Life is where we put it to work. Are you a prioritizing time together? I know it's going to take a change of attitude. It's going to take a change of priorities. But the growth of all believers and the mission of God is at stake. Don't rob yourself this morning of the joy to experience the promises and the blessings of God. For they come with life together. He closes all through this by saying, we do this because Christ welcomed you. So that's your motivation. I'm not fussing this morning. I'm just pointing us to the gospel. It says, as Christ has done for us, so we must then live in community and practice the same things first among each other and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we could get together this morning and lift up your word. We are mutually encouraged 
as we use our gifts, as our brothers and sisters use theirs, the singing and playing and all these things to lead us. We're encouraged by that together. We have been encouraged by your word. And now, Lord, we long to participate in communion with each other and with your Son as we call to mind, as we enjoy with the sense of brokenness and awe in gratefulness and mercy that God, your Son, came and dwelt among us and gave everything so that we could be in your family. This we remember when we come to the table, the great price of our redemption and the great privilege of your family. So, Lord, bring your people to repentance today for forsaking and ignoring and not prioritizing one of the greatest gifts that you gave us outside the, your son, and that is a family, a family in the redeemed. Lord, we love you. And we are so thankful for your patience with us. But Lord, bring us to where we need to be. Because you have more blessings for us than we can imagine. And so Lord, let us take the first step towards experiencing them as we give, as we worship, as we celebrate communion together. Thank you for the blood of Christ that forgives our sins. It pulls us up close, not just close, yes, Lord, right onto your lap to experience the intimacy that we were made to experience. Save those who are not saved in this room, God, so that nothing this world can throw at us can ever separate them from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Lord, we long for everybody in this room to know you and to be known by you. So work among us, Lord, we pray, and with the power of the Spirit, save those whom you are called to be saved and lead us to a rejoicing in the presence of your amazing Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.